Hey, how's it going, New Hope? Great to uh, see you again through the camera. Glad you're with us. Thanks for taking time to be part of our online gathering. Here's a opening question for you that you can participate uh, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching. If you could be any animal, what animal would you be? If you could be any animal, what animal would you be? Now, if you're watching on our online platform or Facebook Live, you can go ahead and write that in the comments. If you could be any, any animal, what animal would you be? If you just don't want to do that and you're, you're watching with someone, just turn to them and, and uh, let them know your answer. Uh, my first impulse was uh, golden retriever. We've had a golden retriever in our home for, oh, 18 years, and I love golden retrievers, and they look like they have a great life. I think ours have had great lives. And then I thought, no, like I, I'd like to be a, a dolphin or a, a porpoise. Like when I'm at the beach and I see them jump out of the water, they, they always look like they have a perpetual grin on their face and they're having fun and they hang out in pods and sharks are scared of them. That'd be a really good choice. But then I thought, no, I got it. If I could be any animal, I would be a liger. Do you guys know what a liger is? Well, this is a real thing. It's never happened in the wild, but it happens in zoos. It's the combo of a lion and a tiger. And we're going to have a liger come up on your screen. This liger's name is Hercules. It's to date the largest cat that has ever existed. Hercules weighs 922 pounds and is 11 feet long. How awesome is that? A liger. So I don't know what you answered, but I can I bet... I'd, I'd be willing to, to wager that no one answered this animal, a sheep. <laughs> That's a cute animal, right? But no one answered a sheep. Why? Because sheep are notoriously stupid. Sheep are the most helpless of all creatures God has ever created. There's stories of sheep just falling over because they have too much wool, and then they can't even get themselves back up. So I don't think anybody chose a sheep, but here's the deal. When the writers of scripture had to come up with an animal to describe humanity, me and you, guess what they chose? I bet you can guess they chose a sheep. So turn with me to Psalm 23. The next three weeks, we're going to be exploring King David's Psalm, one of the better known passages of scripture in a, in a series called In the Valley, the Hope of Psalm 23. Why are we doing a series on Psalm 23 right now? Well, I just figured... It's continued to be a rough stretch post-election. There's lots of like, uh, everybody's tense and upset and, and frustrated and maybe fearful. All those things are churning in us. And I thought, what a cool time to do a grounding psalm like Psalm 23. Uh, that is essentially uh, about God's protection and provision, who God is and what he provides. It's such a beautiful psalm. And it's usually, as you read it through it, just calm. You can feel your blood pressure uh, going down as, as you read it. So we're going to look at that for the next three weeks. Today, we're going to principally look at just verse 1, just a sermon on one verse today, because I will advocate that verse 1 is the main idea, the big idea of the entire psalm. If we understand verse 1, we understand all of it. Now, before we hear uh, Psalm 23... I want to give you a little challenge, and I'll remind you at the end as well. We've got three weeks in the series. We want you to memorize Psalm 23. Some of you have maybe never memorized any scripture. Some of you memorized a ton. It's an awesome thing. Memorization gets scripture from kind of like our heads and our frontal lobes in, into our bones, into our soul, part of us. And so I want to encourage you to memorize. It's really simple uh, to memorize. If you've never done it, give it a go. 
And then it'll be a song that stays with you. It'll be part of your journey along the way. And I think you'll be really grateful you gave time to it. So we want to, we want you to memorize it. And then um, we'll give you, I'll give you a date at the end. It's, it's a, a week from Sunday. And then the Tuesday after that um, is the deadline. We want you to record yourself reciting it uh, to your phone or camera and send it in uh, to to our email address. And then we're going to splice it all together and make a cool video. So what does that look like to memorize Psalm 23? Jerry is going to show us. So take it away, uh, Jerry. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of my Lord forever. So Psalm 23 is is expressing confidence in the protection and the provision of God. Psalm 23 in the Psalter, or the Psalter's the book of Psalms, comes right after, obviously, Psalm 22. And there's purpose in how they're placed in the Psalter. And it's perfect placement here. King David also writes Psalm 22. Uh, you, may, you won't know it as well, but you will know one line from it. Uh, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's what Jesus quotes from the cross. And David's not in a great place in Psalm 22, and he's racked with fear and anxiety and worried. He's wondering, like, where's God at? But he kind of works it out throughout the psalm, throughout the poetry. And by the end, he's challenging all of Israel to put their trust in, in God. And then we have Psalm 23, where it's this, like, personal... A testimonial from David of why God is trustworthy, the protection and the provision that he gets. So again, the first verse that we'll look at explicitly today is the main idea. And then next week, we're going to look at verses two through four. And then last week, we'll look at five and six. There's this strong metaphor of shepherd and sheep that runs throughout the song. And it's the lens through which we're to consider God's protection and provision. There's a debate on whether it runs all the way through or whether David shifts metaphors in verses 5 and 6. That'll make sense when we get to 5 and 6. Mike's teaching that week, so we'll let him figure that out and teach that. So let's let's dive into verse 1, this main idea of the psalm. If we get this, we'll get the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. In your Bibles, if you look down or if you're on our online platform, you can just click on Bible and bring up Psalm 23 and look at it. It should be in all caps. Now, that's done to show you that's God's personal name, Yahweh. Now, Orthodox Jews, observant Jews, to this day, won't write it or say it. It's God's sacred name. It's his holy name, the name that he revealed himself to Moses. It essentially means I am. And it tells us that God is eternal, and God is subsistent, and God is self-sustaining, and God's self-sufficient. All the things that we aren't, that's essentially God. I am. So that's there. So David's saying, Yahweh is my shepherd. So let's look at this first half of that first verse. Uh, The Lord is my shepherd. So there's lots of images that the psalmists use in the Psalter, in their songs, in their poetry, to express metaphorically the protection and provision of God. Uh, Here's uh, on full display some of those metaphors in Psalm 18.2. 
It says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, my horn of my salvation, my stronghold. These are really effective images to promote God's protection and provision for people in the ancient Near East because they were almost always at risk and and there's warfare everywhere. And so they would essentially live in villages or, or compounds that were walled in at the top of hills to make sure they could see enemies from whatever and they're, they're safe, right? That's their refuge. That's their stronghold. That's their rock. And these were images they would understand deeply. And the psalmist uses often to promote God's protection and provision. David's going to go a different way. David's going to use a much more intimate, a much more tender uh, metaphor for God to promote God's protection and provision. Yahweh is my shepherd. They would have totally understood this. We still understand this, although we don't look around and see shepherds and flocks everywhere. But still in the Middle East today, you see them everywhere. In the time David was writing, and even in the time of Jesus in the ancient Near East, shepherds were vital parts of community and commerce and the economy. There were two types of shepherding. One was a semi-nomadic shepherd who would take a large flock and be gone for months with the flock and follow the seasonal rains to make sure that the sheep had green pastures. We'll talk more about that next week. The second kind of shepherd was more common. It was like the village shepherd. Each family would have maybe one or two sheep. This shepherd would be hired to take all those sheep and put them daily into a flock and take them out to feed water, take care of them, protect them, and then bring them back to the village and the families at the end of the day. This idea of Yahweh as our shepherd runs throughout the Bible. It's, it's a dominant metaphor. David's not the only one who uses it. Here's a couple of examples. The writer of Genesis calls God the mighty one of Jacob, the shepherd, the rock of Israel. The prophet Isaiah tells us that God tends his flock like a shepherd and gathers lambs in his arms. The psalmist in Psalm 80 refers to God as the shepherd of Israel. The psalmist in Psalm 77 describes God as leading Israel like a flock. Uh, Psalm 95 proclaims, we are the sheep of his pasture, the flock under his care. This idea of shepherd was particularly impactful for David. David, as he's writing, he's a king. In the ancient Near East, kings were often referred to as shepherds. The role of the king was to shepherd and to protect and provide uh, for his people. So David as king understood that, but David wanted to point them to a greater shepherd than, than himself. David was also, if you know anything about David, as a young boy, he was actually a shepherd as well. David, I bet, as he's writing this, could remember vividly leaving the safety and the refuge of home to take the flock out into the wilderness, where who knows what's going to happen. There's all kind of danger, all kind of ways that he and the sheep uh, were put in harm's way. David is uniquely positioned as the poet here to write this psalm as a shepherd king. David declares, the Lord is my shepherd, and then here's the second part of our main idea, I lack nothing. Now, some of you who are well familiar with the psalm and grew up reading it, maybe even have memorized it, you may know the second line is, I shall not want. And the NIV has changed it. Most translations have changed it simply for this reason. The word want doesn't do service anymore to the Hebrew idea or the Hebrew word there. 
when we say want, we mainly mean what we desire. Um, the original Old English was like, we're, we're, we're not in want. Uh, so the idea of the Hebrew here is a word that means we're not lacking. And so that's why most translations follow the NIV where David says, I lack nothing. Um, the word is not about desiring something, but lacking something that is needed. So I think it's a good translation. Uh, David's literally saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Or another translation, the, the New Living Translation says, uh, I have all that I need. That's a really great translation as well. To which you might respond and I might respond, really? <laughs> we, we have all of our, we need? Uh, if I were to ask you or you to ask me, uh, do you have everything you need, John? Do you have everything you need? No, I would like have a lengthy list in my life presently of things that I feel that I need and probably you would as well. Not David. Because Yahweh's a shepherd, David says, I'm good. I've got everything that I need or I lack nothing. Uh, David's running it through this lens of sheep and shepherd. We have to keep that in mind, seeing it through this metaphor. In the same way, a good shepherd provides fully for the sheep. And we'll dig deeply into that next week. David's saying Yahweh cares for each of us. We're not in need because of the protection and provision of the great shepherd, uh, Yahweh. This phrase would also cause Jewish readers and audiences to immediately think of God's protection and provision of his people Israel in their 40 years in the desert. Uh, they're set free from captivity in Egypt, and they go in the desert where they, because of disobedience, have to be there for 40 years as they wait to enter the promised land. During that time, God shepherded his people. God protected them. God provided for them. Psalm 78, 52 brings us to light. It says, but he brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. And if you know anything of that story, God did that explicitly. He led them with a, a cloud by day and a fire by night to feed them. Literally, bread would fall out or manna would fall out of the sky. Sometimes birds would fall out of the sky. He brought water out of a rock. We go on and on. God protected and provided for his people in the wilderness like a good shepherd would a sheep. So a Jewish reader is going to immediately think of that journey and that imagery. Moses, who led those people during that time, says this, The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He's watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God, Yahweh, has been with you, and you have, here it is, not lacked anything. Same Hebrew word, that David is using. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. That's what David's presenting to us as a reality to which we can continue to respond, really? And we might respond that way because it so go goes against the grain and confronts our Western mindset. We live in a world where we're besieged by marketers. We're besieged online. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the Netflix documentary, documentary, The Social, Social Dilemma, We've essentially, we're the product now. 24-7, we're getting messages, not telling us that we don't need anything or we lack nothing, but the very opposite. It's telling us everything we do need to be satisfied. The goal of marketing is built on the idea of creating wants and turning them into needs. We're told everywhere we look that if we have fill in the blank, I don't know what your deal is, I, don't, I know what my deal is, fill in the blank. If we have this, if we only had this, we would be satisfied. David is saying the exact opposite to us. 
So if you're disoriented as you read it, you should be. You're fully understanding what David's saying. Yahweh is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now, this does not mean, and this is the way we read it through our Western mindset, and because we're besieged by marketing all the time, it does not mean uh, that the Lord is my shepherd, he gives me whatever I want. <laughs> and that's often how this verse is interpreted. Sadly, that's often how this verse is taught and preached. It's not true. It's, I would even say, heretical. That is not at all what David is saying. He's actually saying the exact opposite. Um, we cannot interpret this verse that God's our shepherd. If we look to him, he'll give me whatever I want. That's a prosperity gospel. That's from the gates of hell type stuff. That if I look to the shepherd, he'll just give me my long list of what I want. He'll give me health and wealth and, and all the things that I think I want. What we want oftentimes isn't what we need. Uh, we also can interpret it that if we look to the Lord our shepherd as our shepherd, we'll have an easy life, that we won't have any, any hardship or any suffering. If the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not have any hardship or suffering. We read it that way sometimes. Again, totally wrong. And if you need proof of that, consider the author. David was anointed to be king at a young age and then spent 15 years in the desert, on the lamb, on the run, with Saul hunting him down. And then his life is, is just filled with hardship and suffering, some of his own doing, but he lost children. He had one son come back and try to throw him off the throne and ended up dying. I mean, on he lost a, he, a failed marriage, on and on and on. David's not in this naive state that if he just looks to the Lord, everything will be hunky-dory. That's not what the verse is saying. The verse is saying, it's not even particularly talking about material things. It's talking about a state of our heart. If we look to the Lord, our shepherd, no matter what's going on around us, and sometimes it can be chaos and really tough times, no matter, we will have everything we need. Our hearts will have everything we need. We'll be fully satisfied. This image of Yahweh as, as a shepherd was pronounced throughout scripture, but then a new wrinkle emerges from the prophet Micah. The prophet Micah uh, uh, promised the arrival of a great shepherd from Bethlehem. Micah said this shepherd would lead God's people with the strength of Yahweh. That is this uh, shepherd from Bethlehem led, it would bring majesty to Yahweh's name, that this shepherd would secure all the people and his, this shepherd from Bethlehem's greatness would extend to the ends of the earth. So that's kind of a game changer prophecy. So the people started to look for who is this great shepherd. And then things get really interesting in the New Testament when this historical figure, Jesus of Nazareth, steps in and says, that's me. I'm the guy. I'm, the, I'm who Micah was talking about. And Jesus even steps into this great imagery that King David was painting of Yahweh shepherd. Jesus essentially says, that's me. I am Yahweh in the flesh. I am the great shepherd. It, you can doubt me, but let me, let me prove it to you. So this is from John 10. Jesus says this. He's explicitly clear. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand. He doesn't care anything about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock 
and one shepherd. The people who were there that day listening to Jesus teach knew exactly what he was saying because right after that, John tells us they immediately accused him of being mad in the head and demon-possessed. They knew what he was claiming. He's like, I'm the great shepherd from Bethlehem that Micah promised. I'm the one that King David talked about. I am Yahweh in the flesh, the great shepherd that's come to lay down his life for the sheep. The earliest followers of Jesus, we know, got this, and they understood this, and it, 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 was, it shaped their early communities. The, the early Christians were very artistic. They used tons of images. We're continuing to find them uh, around the ancient world as archaeologists uh, unearthed new sites. Uh, some of you you're familiar with, they used a, a fish or an anchor or a vine or like a, a shape that looked like a, a wagon wheel. But one of the most dominant images that the early Christian used was a shepherd, We find these images of of a shepherd with sheep or shepherds surrounded by sheep everywhere. In the catacombs, and there was many different catacombs where the Christians would would bury their loved ones and even hide out from persecution, we find tons of art. The most dominant image in the catacombs is of a shepherd. Little known fact, a couple images are going to come up. They're old, but I think if you period, hopefully they're good resolution. You can see these images. You can visit them today and see these images all over the catacombs. There's another one that'll come up of a house church that we found located in modern day Syria. And the house churches had baptistries where new believers would be baptized. And above the baptistry, we find this image. Again, Jesus is the shepherd. We find it on ancient coffins, gravestones, uh, many Christian relics contain this image of Jesus as the sheep. They embraced this idea that Jesus was indeed the good shepherd. We see this throughout the gospels where it said that Jesus looked on them and had compassion on them as a sheep would, uh, as a shepherd would a sheep, that he, Jesus leaves the 99 to find the one. And again, this image that he said twice that Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. Why did they like it so much? It touched so much upon the heart of the gospel of God is the shepherd for his people, the God that's gonna come and uh, protect and provide and rescue and restore and redeem. They could see that image and they immediately thought of the heart of the Christian story. So let's talk a little bit practically. How does this, how does this one line, Yahweh is my shepherd, <clears throat> I lack nothing, how does that land in our lives uh, practically? Let me just ask this question. When, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? That's a deep psychological question I know. Uh, but... You should see this. Yes, we're back to the image of the sheep. And you got to be like, oh, no, I don't want to see that. Because why? Sheep aren't the brightest. Sheep need meticulous care and attention just to stay alive. They're prone to timidity. They're prone to fear. They're prone to mob instincts. They're very stubborn. They have independent streaks. Does it sound like anybody you know? (laughs) <laughs> sounds like me. Sounds like humanity. The prophet Isaiah says that all we like sheep have gone astray, each going uh, to our own way. Here's the deal. And this is just a really simple point. You could have thought of it at home, but it's really important as we try to enter into the truth of the psalm. The Lord cannot be our shepherd unless we admit we're sheep. I mean, I know it's really simple, but it's true. The Lord cannot be our shepherd unless we admit we're sheep. If we see ourselves as, as ligers, that's how I'd like to see myself, as some dominant animal that is independent and doesn't need any help, we will never be able to step into the truth of this psalm. We'll never be able to look to Jesus as our sheep. Ligers don't need shepherds, right? Sheep do. 
All right, secondly, I think Psalm 23 is so incredibly popular and loved and read throughout life and memorized and read at funerals because it's the picture of something we, we sense deeply that we need and yet we rarely experience. We live in the, the wealthiest, healthiest, most advanced civilization that has ever existed in the history of the world. That's just true. But here's the deal. We're increasingly dissatisfied with our lives. Recent surveys have come out that satisfaction amongst the young and old Americans has been declining steadily over the last decade. A recent survey revealed that Americans are the most unhappy and dissatisfied they've been in 50 years. One in three Americans right now would say that they are greatly dissatisfied with their lives. In the midst of this perpetual dissatisfaction comes King David's words. (laughs) Yahweh is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Whoa, it's kind of disoriented. What is David describing? David's describing this idea of contentment. Contentment. David is content because the Lord is his shepherd. Contentment is the state of being satisfied. It's being satisfied with what we have. It's looking at what's been provided and saying, like, I don't, I don't need anything more. I'm good. That's what David is getting to. If I could sum up all of Psalm 23 and this one line in three words, I would sum it up this way, that only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus, the good shepherd, can provide exactly what I need and exactly what you need. If you go back to, let's go back to the lens of shepherd and sheep. We'll explore these in, in more greater context in next week. But what is essentially the shepherd providing the sheep? The basics. The basics for sheep needs. You'll see like basic food and water and protection and presence. And then we get kind of into the more spiritual metaphors, the sense of being surrounded by grace and love and the radical hospitality of, of Psalm 23 and a permanent place in God's house and in the great last line of Psalm 23, that we're chased by, by beauty and love all the days of our life, chased by it. That's the basics. What you don't see there are all the things that I turn to for satisfaction and the world turns to for satisfaction typically. You don't see anything about material possessions or entertainments or intoxicants or or sex, or travel, or relationships, or promotions at work, or accomplishments, or positions of power. We don't need any of these things for true heart contentment. That's what King David is saying. That's the radicalness of this simple line. I want you to think through how you would fill in this blank. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very simple statement. I need blank to be satisfied. You don't need to comment. That's a vulnerable answer. I get that. You could just think about that. If you're with somebody that you're very close to, you can process that with them. Maybe in your life groups this week, you can talk about that. That's a really clarifying question. If I just had this, and maybe it's for me, it's probably a list of things. If I just had this, I would be satisfied. For King David, there's one answer, and it's Jesus. That's, that's all that, that, that would go right in there. And I know I'm hesitant to even say this because I know it sounds like a bumper sticker. Only Jesus satisfies but that's the truth of this line. That's the truth of this psalm. We're forever chasing things to satisfy us that when we get a hold of them and experience them and finally get them, they leave us dissatisfied. It's fool's gold. Jesus is not fool's gold. Jesus says right after the longer passage I read earlier where he says, hey, I'm the good shepherd. He, comes, he has this line, right, or right before it, brother. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus promises 
as we look to him as our shepherd, as we look to him for protection and provision and for our livelihoods, as we put our lives in his hands, he promises us abundant life, only Jesus satisfies. As we look to him as our good shepherd, we'll never say, I don't have enough. Like that's the promise of Psalm 23. Now, for clarity, let me, let me go back to this again because this is, this is a, a very misunderstood Psalm. I'm not saying that as we look to Jesus as our shepherd, it will remove all hardship and suffering from your life and my life. I'm not saying that, and I'm not mitigating any of the challenges that we're all facing. God does care about those things. That's not the promise of Psalm 23, that if I look to God as shepherd, somehow magically I'll get everything that I want and my life will be hunky-dory and everything will be great. That's a misconstrued reading of Psalm 23. That's not what King David is saying. Here's what King David is saying. If we look to Jesus as our shepherd, we will be satisfied amidst hardship and suffering and also amidst times of beauty and wonder and grace because life's a mixture of all those things. But that our contentment and our heart satisfaction is not dependent on all the things swirling around us, on all the circumstances, that it's tethered to Yahweh as our shepherd. And that's where we find our heart satisfaction. That's the promise. Uh, David really came to understand this truth, I believe. David, I mean, he experienced the gamut, the riches, the power, the women, the glory. And he went through all of them. And he came to the place where, at the end, where he realized that his own psalm was true. And David says this in Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That's it, David said. That's it, I just wanna be with him. I just wanna be with the shepherd. That's it, that'll just make my heart satisfied. I've had it all, I've tried it all, Uh, that's it. Um, The apostle Paul came to realize this truth at all as as well. In this letter to the Philippians, Paul writes out, I call it his, his, his resume. Paul lists for the Philippians. Okay, you wanna play the game of how we do things in the world? Let me give you my resume. And it's impressive. In our context, it'd be like, I, you know, I went to Harvard and I got multiple doctorates and, you know, I made a million dollars and I was on the cover of a magazine and I was world famous and I had a perfect family or whatever it might be in our world that we think will satisfy us. That resume, we're like, wow, that's impressive. And then here's what Paul says. He says, it's all, here's the Greek word that he uses, it's all garbage. It's all garbage compared to knowing Jesus. And then Paul goes on, he says this. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Isn't that freeing? I mean, isn't the hope of that? And let me be clear. I'm not living that way presently. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this. I'm teaching this. I believe it. I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm, maybe some of you are, and you could lead me in that. I believe that it's true, but I'm a work in progress there. I still, day in, day out, week in, week out, have a list of things that I want to put in that fill in the blank of like, if I could just have, if I can get to this, if, and they even revolve around church sometimes. If I could just get new hope here, if I could just do, I'll be satisfied. I'll be, and it's fool's goal. It's, it's, never, it's never true. I mean, I've been waiting now for, it feels like forever for the Cowboys to win another Super Bowl. <laughs> I don't think, I don't know if this is ever going to happen. And you, you don't have to comment on how badly they're playing this season. But all these things, whatever your deal is, they all come up short. They, they leave us in a state of perpetual dissatisfaction 
only Jesus truly satisfies. The late Dallas Willard, philosopher, theologian, brilliant guy. He shaped my life in a lot of ways. His last book was on Psalm 23. I love the title. It's called Life Without Lack. Life Without Lack. Uh, Dallas says this in the preface to that book. He says, the title of this book, Life Without Lack, reflects the very first verse of the psalm. Uh, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It describes the life we all desire, a life in which we want for nothing, or better yet, lack nothing. The psalmist is portraying a life we were meant to enjoy, one that is imminently available to us. But do you believe this verse is actually true? Few people act as if it were. That's just true. What does this look like? Does anybody, does anybody live this out? Yeah, I, I think that they do. The first example that came to my mind is, is a woman uh, named Bev Skinner. And many of you um, that have been around New Hope for a while know Bev. Some of you never got the chance to meet her, and it, it was your loss. I, I got the chance to, to work with Bev. She was still volunteering for a few years when I started five and a half years ago. And Bev uh, had been working at New Hope for over 30 years. Her, her main role was running the massive uh, phone prayer team. And they would just call thousands and thousands of people and pray for them. I bet she introduced, I bet thousands of people to Jesus. I don't think that that's hyperbole. I have never met somebody in my life, I think, that is more head that was more head over heels in love with Jesus. Um, Bev was also deeply convinced that Jesus was head over heels in love with her. And that's pretty key. Bev, I still remember, would refer to Jesus as my Jesus. And it wasn't a possessive, narcissistic thing. It was an intimacy thing. It, it, Jesus was her Jesus. Jesus was, was, was her shepherd. And Bev, I don't need to go on all the details. Some of you knew Bev well, but she had a, she had a hard life. Her life was, was never easy. Uh, filled with with challenges and and poverty at times and broken relationships and deaths and loss. And in the last couple of years of Bev's life, she was racked with continual pain in her body from, from arthritis. I remember when Bev started to, to fade and it looked like it was nearing the end of, of her earthly journey, I got the opportunity to just spend time one-on-one -on -one with her in the hospital. And I remember it was a busy day. And I, I, to be honest, I was, I was like, I don't know if I could squeeze it in. I'm sure there'll be more. I'm so glad that the Spirit of God led me to go that day. It, it, it will forever shape me. I'll never remember. Forget the encounter. I walked in, and, and Bev's in her bed, and her organs are starting to fail, literally. And she turned, and she just lit up like a Christmas tree when she saw me, which always feels great. And that's kind of how Bev was. <clears throat> And Bev started talking and she started telling me her storyboard. We just stood there and I held her hand and there was tears and there was lots of laughter and it was just kind of a holy moment. And then Bev looked at me with a huge grin on her face. I'll never forget this moment and said, I cannot wait to meet my Jesus. And it was like, whoa, I, I, like I'll never forget that moment. It was, it was literally a holy moment for me. And then... Um, she looked off. I mean, we're having a conversation and she looked off and she looked up in the sky and it was like she was communing with someone. Like I wasn't even there. For a second, I'm like, hello, I'm here. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have done that. I didn't want to break it. I didn't want to break the moment. And then she kind of came back to me and she smiled and she, she went to see her Jesus in a few days. Uh, the Lord was Bev Shepherd. There, was, there wasn't any doubt. Uh, because of that, Bev lacked nothing. 
she didn't need anything. <laughs> she was truly content. Bev knew that only Jesus satisfies. Here's the penetrating question for all of us as we grapple with this psalm. J- uh, David, King David says, the Lord is my shepherd. So I'll turn the question on you and myself. Is the Lord your shepherd? Is the Lord your shepherd? Are you looking for satisfaction from a bunch of other things that are gonna leave you dissatisfied? They just will, trust me, please hear it. I'm speaking to myself too. Is he your shepherd? Will you look to him for that inner contentment and satisfaction that only he can offer? And he offers it freely. And he offers it lovingly. As we get into the gospels and we, we talk about this idea of the gospel and the story we're caught up in, that word satisfaction can mean to free someone from a debt, to cancel out the debt. And yes, we're all like sheep. We've gone astray. We've gone our own way. We've done our own things. We've sinned. That's just true of all of us. And that sin has put a distance between us and God. And we feel it. It leaves us restless and longing and hungry and thirsty and broken and tired. And then here comes God in the flesh puts on flesh, comes as the great shepherd, lays down his life for me and for you, for the sheep. That's what good shepherds do. Bore and broke the power of sin and death, satisfied, gone, nothing more there. We're freed and then offers his sheep, anyone who would look to him, free life. Have you done that? Have you looked to Jesus as your shepherd? If you haven't, do it right now. There's no comparison. There's no other path. You won't ever regret that. But then some of us, right, we've done that. Uh, and then we wander like sheep do. That's just what sheep do. We just kind of let do. I'll go this way. You know that was good for a while. The if you get into the the nerdiness of the Hebrew language in that first verse again, it really should should most appropriately read. So long as the Lord is our shepherd, I lack nothing. It's an important nuance. And some of us who follow Jesus experience when we don't follow Him when we don't look to him as our shepherd. Because the promise of, of having that heart satisfaction is when we're continually looking to him. So maybe this message in this psalm is an opportunity to reset and kind of say, I don't want to chase those things. I, I don't want to go after them because I know they're going to leave me dissatisfied. I want to return. I want to anchor down. I want to look to Jesus as my shepherd. And that's an opportunity for, for myself and all of us to step back into that reality today. Let's do that let's look to Jesus as our shepherd, not because it's going to promise us a list of all things we want, not because it's going to give us health and wealth, not because it's going to give us even an easy life that's free of hardship and suffering. Let's do it simply because only Jesus satisfies. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your, your goodness and your grace and your faithfulness. Uh, we, we, we need metaphors. We, we, these are holy, mysterious things. We need to get our minds and our hearts around the concreteness of who you are, God. And this shepherd sheep metaphor is, is beautiful and it's provocative and it's astounding and it messes with us in our materialistic culture. We're driven not by our needs, but by our wants. God, reorder our hearts. Those of us who are, who are seeking a long list of things or maybe even one thing to find our heart satisfaction, may this be a moment of repentance, of turning, and may we reorder and recenter our lives on Jesus as the good shepherd, because only Jesus satisfies. We love you, Lord. Uh, thanks for the promise and the hope of the psalm. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.